Welcome to Key 3 Educators, helping you excel as a Christian school leader, educator, or homeschooler as you outfit students to learn themselves, love God, and live connected. Here's your host, Stephanie Smith. Welcome back to Key 3 Educators. Today, we are privileged to speak with Sadie Elliott. She is with the Herzog Foundation, and we had the opportunity to hear from the president, Daryl Jones, in previous episodes. And today we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the offerings of the Herzog Foundation because they have some phenomenal resources to assist Christian schools and home educators here in the United States. So Sadie, welcome. Thank you so much for agreeing to be here and all the things that you're going to share with us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. It's a tremendous delight. So let's begin, if you will. All of our listeners may not have listened to the previous episodes with Daryl Jones. And so if you can just go ahead and give a brief overview of the Herzog Foundation, uh, what it's about, its its general philosophy, and just kind of open this up to the Herzog Foundation. Sure. Thanks so much. Uh, so at the Herzog Foundation, our mission is to catalyze and accelerate the development of quality, Christ-centered K-12 education so that families and culture will flourish. And um, Stan Herzog is the gentleman who, when he passed away in 2019, he left the majority of his wealth to this foundation. And he said, give it back to Christian education. Um, he didn't leave a long to-do list of exactly how to spend that money. But he hand-selected three board members who he trusted um, to execute on on his values and his uh, vision for this foundation. Okay. And so, and you guys are off to a flying start. You have a beautiful facility there in Smithville, Missouri, which is just north of the Kansas City Airport which fortunately has been recently remodeled, right? And um, so you're not just a small organization. You have had a phenomenal impact already. So what we're going to do is uh, we're just going to kind of do a walkthrough of a lot of the different sessions and training opportunities and programs that Herzog has. And so if there's any pertinent information, we're just going to open up the floor and kind of walk through these one at a time. So can you share with us, for example, there's the donor development training that you have. Can you just kind of share with us about that? Absolutely. Um, Before I get into the details of the donor development training, I think it might be helpful to kind of situate. um, We have right now we have two different uh, series of trainings that we run. The first is our leadership development series. And that is hyper-focused on uh, Christian schools, homeschool groups, um, et cetera, from an executive management uh, level. So your head of school, your executive director, board members, and then uh, admin staff. So admissions, donor development personnel, uh, folks like that. And then we have our teacher trainings, which I know we'll get into here um, in a little bit as well. And those are focused uh, on teachers from from those organizations. And so donor development is one of the most important uh, leadership development trainings that we run. Um, I mentioned the three board members who Stan hand-selected to be a part of this foundation. Um, and it was very clear from the start with them. They love the saying, um, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, right? Um, but if you teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. And so that was really the driver behind this training of, yes, Stan blessed us with um, an, a tremendous amount of resources, 
But at the end of that day, that uh, that bucket is still finite. And so how are schools going to be sustainable um, for years and years to come? And a key component of that is uh, your donor development practices. Um, and so this is one of the most important trainings that we run from that perspective. And, and it's one of my favorites. I have a background in development, so it's personal to me um, because I think a lot of times we can go wrong as organizations thinking about uh, fundraising as a purely transactional activity, um, something where uh, you're just seeking to hit that number at a gala or um, you have a, an immediate need that needs to be filled. Um, but the reality of it is, is sustainable donor development practices are hyper-relational. And I think that that's really God-honoring um, to invite donors into the story that's being written at your school or your homeschool co-op or whatever organization that is that you run. And so at that training, we really focus on how can we be intentional to build relationships uh, that will fuel the school forward and we do a lot of tactical training on what does it look like to uh, to meet with donors? What does it look like to thank our donors and to report uh, well and uh, to really keep them uh, as an integral part of the story that's being written at your schools? So it sounds to me like what you deal with is both framing or possibly reframing people's mindsets about donor development as yeah. well as giving them the action steps of you know, how do we actually implement that in real life in sustainable ways. What are some of the mindsets that you are seeing that people come in with in this arena mm -hmm. that you work to say, hey, let's, let's work at reframing that? Yeah, that's a great question. So our first session at this training is uh, unlearning what we know. <laughs> so you've kind of hit okay. the nail on the head there, um, where we talk about, okay, what, um, how do we currently go about fundraising? Um, what do those practices look like? What are we prioritizing um, what, with kind of how we spend our time and our money when it comes to, to fundraising? Um, and then we kind of walk our guests back from there. And so what, we often see are these little light bulb moments um, of people even who have been in, in fundraising and donor development for many years who realize, oh, um, you know, I didn't think about it that way. Um, and so some of those things are, we love to use the word need as an organization, right? We need that gym. We need that STEM wing. We need that field, whatever that is. And, um, and that might be true. You may really need that. Um, but I think that that word sort of begs a little bit of um, uh, an undue urgency of like, if we don't have this, you know, we can't move forward. But when the reality of it is, is if you change how you frame that to what opportunity would uh, building a gym or launching a STEM program or having an outdoor field, what kind of opportunities would that bring for your school to minister to more kids? Um, and welcome more families into the fold. And so it's just kind of turning uh, turning it on its head a little bit to say, you know what? God is in control of our schools. Uh, God is in control of our organizations. And we're just called to be faithful in the moment and invite people into that. Um, and the other thing that I would say um, on this topic in particular, 
and and this is near and dear to to my heart at the moment because I'm dealing with this at at some organizations that I'm involved with is um, when you frame things with a need uh, donors um, there are so many organizations out there vying for donors time and vying for donor dollars um, and so that rhetoric of need 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 um, can really get tiresome when the reality of it is is we have a plan and this is our plan in order to accomplish our plan this is what we're looking to do and this is what it'll take to do it in reality and and in this economy where we know costs are going up um, for anything that organizations want to do so i think it's just a, a it's the language of leadership is what our coach zach clark calls uh, donor development I like that a lot because the words that we use matter. And mm -hmm. as I'm listening to you, this isn't about trying to teach people how to use language to manipulate. It's about using language to be effective and honoring both of what a school or organization is trying to accomplish, as well as honoring the donor. And so Sometimes, you know, we just get used to using certain phrases and words and we don't always think about how they come across. Okay, I'll just speak for myself with that one. I won't lump anybody else in with that. And so I know the power of being able to reframe our mindset and then to align our language with that. So that's phenomenal that you begin at that very base starting point and not just, okay, here's a thousand and one ways to, to go, you know, raise funds. One of the questions I have for that is sometimes I think one of the mindsets around donors and, and being able to have fundraisers is the idea that, well, we don't have somebody that we know with big pockets who's just going to write us a giant check. And so especially for schools or organizations, um, you mentioned homeschool co-ops. And so I'd like for you to dive in a little bit more to that because it's not just for Christian schools, if I understand that right. correctly. And if you'll speak to that, but being able to um, look at donor development, how would a school that says, look, we're a very small school, we're in a rural area, we're not in a wealthy area, we don't have somebody that we know that's going to write us a big check, would they still benefit by coming to the donor development training? That's a great question. And absolutely, yes, we have trained um, over 500 schools now, uh, total, and many of those come from are come from small schools. I think it's something like 60% of Christian schools have fewer than 250 students. Um, and, and many of the schools that we've trained have come from, from rural areas. And so, uh, again, what we teach is so tactical that it can really be implemented in any context. And so and when we're thinking about the donor as a whole person or a prospective donor as a whole person, um, they may have resources to give, and that's likely uh, kind of the first thing on our mind when we're approaching them. Uh, but they also have a ton of expertise uh, to be able to speak into our school. They also have connections. And I think that um, siloing donors just to the financial resources that they may or may not be able to provide actually does a disservice to the to the person sitting across the table from you. And so we we teach just being faithful with those connections to say, you know, uh, who should I be talking to? Or are there others that you could think of that would get behind this vision? Um, and I think what we're seeing also, um, just kind of from a 30,000 foot view, is the spotlight is on education right now. 
And so I am hearing story after story of how some random, random, right, uh, major donor in the community is looking at our culture and is looking at everything that's happening right now and is saying, what went wrong, right? Like, what's the solution here? And if you walk that back, what you realize is, you know what, let's look at education. Um, let's look at our education system and our options for families today. And so I have he- heard God's story after God's story of um, an incredibly generous person stepping into a school that they have zero familial connection to. Um, and I'm hearing more and more of that. So that's an exciting trend, I think, uh, that that we're seeing as well is whereas most of our donor Revenue typically comes from parents and grandparents or alumni parents and grandparents. Um, I think we're going to start seeing more and more attention be given to Christian education as as a, a kind of priority for, for major funders across the country. Okay. As part of that donor development, is there any kind of aspect of that training that gets into grants or looking besides just individual donors? Or is that is that a separate issue altogether? Yes. So we really uh, focus on the individual donor. Um, I don't have the exact number, but the majority of giving is still the individual donor. Um, When we do talk about foundations and grant funding, uh, the reality of it is, is that that's still a person making those decisions. Um, And actually, grant writing kind of has my heart. I spent two years in grant writing right out of college. And um, and so I could talk all day on that. We don't add our training because uh, the if you're going to see success when it comes to grant writing, that is pursuing that foundation just like you would pursue an individual and really listening to uh, what their funding priorities are, um, how they like to give, when they like to give, um, and being really attentive to the needs of the donor, whether it's an individual or a foundation. Okay. So I certainly don't have your level of expertise in grant writing. I have just enough familiarity with it through some uh, past experience to know that the concept that you just sit down and you fill out a form and somebody sends you a check is not how that works, right? (laughs) So it's wonderful. You bring a wealth of knowledge and experience from your background, obviously, and into this arena. Can you speak to a, say there's a homeschool cooperative, or someone who's looking to start something in their area, because I know that there's an explosion of people who either individually or are getting together with some friends or other acquaintances and saying, hey, we don't know exactly how to start this. And so I know this isn't exactly, um, I don't want to confuse this with the school box program or that type of thing. But if, if would they be a good fit to say, we're just in the startup phase would they be a good fit to come to a donor development training? Or is that something that's better suited to schools or organizations that are already up and running? Yes, we love welcoming startup schools at our trainings. Um, And you mentioned our school box program, our trainings parallel perfectly with that content. 
that you get on Schoolbox. Um, but the reason I love to get startups in these trainings as early as possible is it helps uh, helps them start in the right direction uh, versus some of the unlearning that we have to do with established organizations. Um, and so I had, uh, we just finished a donor development training yesterday and we had four startups in that group. And it's really exciting to hear some of their stories um, and they're going to apply these principles, even though they don't have an existing, you know, pool of potential donors, they're going to apply these principles um, in their startup context just the same. Oh, that's that's awesome. So for all of you that are yeah. listening out there and you're part of a startup or you're thinking about a startup, consider that training as well. All right, so let's move on to the next item and that's marketing and enrollment. And I know from my experience with Christian education that sometimes we have a hard time thinking in terms of marketing with Christian schools because gosh, doesn't that just sound like it belongs over there in the capitalism world of products and widgets and all that kind of thing. But the reality is, Anything that you, any service you provide, no matter what the motivation is behind it or, or product, if you will, you have to let people know about it. And you have to be able to communicate effectively what you are about. And that's really what marketing is. It's about communication. So can you speak about marketing and enrollment training? Who would come to that? Um, what would be the... Um, the ideal candidates, what would be the needs that would drive people to come to the marketing and enrollment training? Absolutely. So uh, I would say that the ideal person for that training or, or people, we love when schools bring multiple people to each training because it gives you a chance to dialogue and workshop while you're on site with us. Uh, so for marketing and enrollment, we love to see the head of school or executive director of the organization come with someone who does marketing or admissions. And then we always encourage and offer a seat to board members anytime that they want to come as well. Um, and so this training, to your point, is uh, sometimes marketing is an afterthought. And, um, and so what we're seeing is uh, whether your school or your organization has that capacity or you have room to grow, uh, there's there's always room for improvement when it comes to marketing practices. Um, and so I'm happy to dive into any of those specifics. Yeah, so can you, in the same way with donor development, do you find that you have to kind of begin with unlearning, you know, things that people come into with mindsets that, kind of need to be shifted? Or is that not so much of an issue where people come in more, okay, we know we need to market and we know we have to have an effective way to enroll students, but is that something that you can just kind of hit the ground running from that? Or kind of how does that start and, and where does that lead to? Sure. I don't think there's uh, quite so much unlearning that has to be done in marketing and enrollment. Uh, what is really exciting about this training to me is there are so many simple tactical things that you can implement as an organization that drive um, leads to your school that you've maybe never thought of before. So a lot of what we find at marketing enrollment is just sharing ideas 
that have worked for other organizations that can be implemented across the board of, of organizational type. I would also say there is um, maybe a reorientation of what we're emphasizing when it comes to marketing. I think a lot of schools think we need, you know, our, web our website needs to look uh, better than anybody else's website and we need social media marketing and we need all these things. And those are helpful and we do cover digital marketing but the number one driver for uh, school growth, for homeschool growth, is word of mouth marketing. And so we really spend a lot of time exploring parent satisfaction and what is really driving uh, families to your school. Okay, wonderful. I like that. So it, it sounds like it's a very holistic approach, an approach aligned with how things actually work in the world and not just some some theoretical idea. All right. So one of the things um, that is you've mentioned in the marketing training um, specifically is the importance of having board members in participation with these trainings. And boards can be structured very, very differently. And some schools may have a very informal and some may have layers of boards and all of that. So one of the trainings that you provide is on board governance. So can you talk about what is the need that you are seeing and how do these trainings equip schools um, in regards to setting up or Create, if they already have boards that are in place, how can those function effectively so that they're sustainable and work to accomplish the school's mission over the long haul? I think that's the million dollar question for Christian education. I mean, the reality of it is, is that if we have a an unhealthy relationship between the executive leader of an organization and the board, to your point, whatever structure that looks like, uh, then all of the other work that we're doing is somewhat peripheral. Um, and so that board governance piece is really where success or failures hinge off of. And so when we think about a head of school's relationship with the board chair, or maybe it's the head of school's relationship with the church, if it's a church uh, subsidiary, um, that is really where you're, you're establishing the mission and the vision and the values of the school. Um, and if you're not really clear on that, uh, and if you don't live that out from the top, uh, then there's, no, you know, that's where really culture trickles down is from that adult, um, that adult level between the boards and the executive leader. And so we see kind of uh, the scales of board engagement from boards that are maybe way too involved um, and boards that that are probably not involved enough. And I think the, the biggest threat here to our organizations when we have um, a little, you know, when we have some unhealthy practices or dysfunction from the top is uh, the average tenure of a head of school or executive director of a school in private schools is 2.8 years is the, the latest number that I have. And so if you're restarting momentum and trust building and donor relations every 2.8 years, um, that really holds schools back from being able to thrive. Uh, but oftentimes we're running out good talent from the top uh, just because our, our practices are maybe maybe a little dysfunctional. 
Wow, that's a statistic that I had no clue of. I I certainly would not have guessed that. But that's a that's a significant impact um, there with that. Sometimes I think we we tend to think that if there's something that's dysfunctional in a relationship, that we're just going to see it right offhand. So what are mm-hmm. some ways that a school might be able to assess? Do we even need to come to this training? Is it a matter that only the schools that recognize, boy, we have a real problem here? Or what about schools that think, you know, I, I think we're doing pretty well. How would they benefit by by coming to this training specifically on board governance? Yes. So we have seen schools with really healthy leadership that their schools are growing I mean, they come to these training retreats, but we've also seen some schools going through some pretty rough situations. Um, And so I would say, you know, when we first designed our board leadership training retreat, we had the advice from uh, from a friend of the foundation who said, you really should treat this like a marriage retreat. You know, it's good to go on a marriage retreat every so often and just see how you're doing and get away and step out of the day to day step out of the tyranny of the urgent and just reflect on some things and spend some time away. And so we've really tried to design it like that. It's our longest training. It's four days, Um, but there's so much time for rest. There's so much time for leaders to have those conversations that maybe they haven't given themselves permission to have. Um, but because the Herzog Foundation's asking you to have it, it's a little less intimidating, right? Um, if I if I'm an executive director or head of school, it's kind of intimidating for me to bring up um, the need for better communication or clearer vision or whatever that is to my board on my own. But we're inviting leaders in to have those conversations, and so it takes a little bit of the pressure off. Um, and then we just love on people, and so um, you know our board has the heart to serve leaders of this movement. And so we want to just bring people in and love on people. And so what I would say is whether you're a school or, or a homeschool group uh, with a great working dynamic at the top, or maybe you're struggling personally or spiritually, maybe you're starting to feel burnt out. Um, this retreat is the perfect place to kind of step back and reflect on that um, and then get some time one-on-one with our coaches get some time one-on-one with your fellow school leaders. Um, and, you know, I really do think it's probably one of the best things that you that's, that leaders can do for their organizations um, just to reflect on, on how they're doing. Um, take a minute out of their day to do that, yeah. So they're not just coming and sitting in some stuffy conference room for eight hours a day, getting overwhelmed with information, and then for four straight days. There's, it sounds like there's a very good balance of treating each person as a holistic individual and having that time to learn and absorb and reflect and, and have conversation about that. So I I really like that. In, in the, specifically with the board governance training, do you have a requirement as far as there has to be the executive director of the school and the head of the board that comes, is it possible that let's say that you have more than one principal of a school and you have more than one board member wants, that wants to come? What's the just logistical setup of who can and is there are there limitations as to who can and who can't come for that training? 
Yes. So the minimum requirement for a school is that they send the executive director and the board uh, chair to the training. Now, that's not necessarily hard and fast. I've had some schools who say, you know, my board chair is transitioning out this summer. Can I bring um, the vice chair? And we we believe in the power of local leaders. So we we let the the leaders decide what's best for their schools. But there's absolutely room there where if it's a co-head situation or maybe you're a head of school and you're trying to train up a principal for succession, um, we absolutely welcome additional members uh, to join us, whether that be from the executive team or the board. Okay. Okay. So, but it's probably not, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is total supposition on my part, so I could be way off base here, but it might not be the best thing to bring the entire board and one executive director. That's right. Okay. We typically cap it um, around three or four people per school. Okay. Um, total. Uh, just again, if you're having heavy conversations with the leader, um, it's it's helpful to keep it a, a small group. Okay, okay, and we don't want somebody to feel like they're they're getting ganged up on, right? If there are issues right. there, um, so I like the fact that organizations that might recognize, hey, we've got some issues going on here, so let let's go get some help with that. But also, I like the analogy of even with a marriage retreat, it's just a healthy thing to um, check in, to go to a conference, to go see a therapist, just like we go, hopefully we go to see a physician for some regular checkups. You know, we don't want to wait until we're flat on our back in the ER, right? <laughs> and so exactly. I like the fact that this is for schools who say, you know, I think we're pretty healthy, but I'm sure that there are ways that, that we can get even better or things that we need to be mindful of so that we ensure that that health continues you know, uh, once we're gone. Okay, we're going to pause here and we're going to continue this in the next episode. This has been a wealth of information. And if you are a Christian school board member, administrator, or teacher, or if you are part of a homeschool cooperative or organization and you don't have to be established, maybe you're just starting up. These are phenomenal resources, and there's more to come. There is so much that the Herzog Foundation has to be able to equip you to excel in your mission to educate students according to Christian faith and values and beliefs. Make sure that you tune in to the next episode because there's so much more that you're going to want to hear about. You can visit the Herzog Foundation at HerzogFoundation.com. Check out what they have and go ahead and sign up for some of the trainings and events that they have coming up. Subscribe to their email list. And while you're there online, hop on over to Key3Educators.com and explore the options there. And also you can sign up there for the Three Keys newsletter as well. Thank you so much for being with me today and to Sadie Elliott for being such a wonderful guest. And we're going to pick up this conversation in the next episode. All right. Remember this, my friend, you have an impact that is immeasurable, eternal, and irreplaceable. Thank you for being with us today. For information on speaking engagements and resources for your school or family, visit the website key3educators.com. Remember, learn yourself, love God, and live connected.